The great Robert Spencer is our guest today to discuss his latest book, The Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War, on the special edition of The Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to The Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 351 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Friday, February 24th, 2023. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time. A lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, click on the button that says Become a Patron. And we really appreciate all of our patrons. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. And make sure you check out our new conservative sports sports podcast, Red Pill Sports, with my friend Donnie Copeland. It drops Tuesday evenings at 11 p.m. Central. Okay, let me start off with a special announcement about the future of the Doc Washburn Show. We are looking forward to making a transition to video soon. We have the video equipment installed. It's uh, top-of-the-line new stuff. We're looking for a couple of interns who can help us actually produce the show. If you know a young person who is conservative, trying to break into television, this would be a perfect opportunity to show what he or she can do. Have him or her contact us at our email address, contact at docwashburnshow.com. All right, for our guest today, Robert Spencer is the director of Jihad Watch. He is a Shulman Fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center. He's the author of 26 books, including the New York Times bestsellers, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Islam and the Crusades, and The Truth About Muhammad, and the bestsellers, The History of Jihad from Muhammad to ISIS, and The Critical Koran Explained from Key Islamic Commentaries and Contemporary Historical Research. His new book is called The Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War. Robert Spencer's led seminars on Islam and Jihad for the FBI, United States Central Command, United States Army Command and General Staff College, the U.S. Army's Asymmetric Warfare Group, the Joint Terrorism Task Force, the Justice Department's Anti-Terrorism Advisory Council, and the U.S. intelligence community. He has discussed jihad, Islam, and terrorism at a workshop sponsored by the U.S. State Department and the German Foreign Ministry. He's a senior fellow with the Center for Security Policy. Again, his new book, The Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War. I'm honored that Robert Spencer is my friend. How are you today, sir? Thanks for coming on the show. Just great, Doc. Good to talk to you as always. Thank you. Yes, sir. Good to have you back on. Uh, about your book, the uh, the Sumter Gambit, how the left is trying to foment a civil war. Our society has fallen away from its founding to such a degree 
to such an extent that we occasionally see people on social media put forth the idea of vigilantism. It's like, well, when are we going to stand up and do something about it? But isn't that exactly what those in charge of our government would love to see happen? Absolutely, Doc. The left is trying to set up a win-win situation for themselves. And it goes like this. On the one hand, they push us and push us until we are ready to snap back. And they do that by all this craziness that we're seeing around the world today, like the, I mean, around the country today, like the drag queens and primary schools and the men becoming women and the women becoming men and all this nonsense. And if we stand up and start to fight back in a way that you're talking about, then they will say, see, they really are the traitors and insurrectionists that we warned you about and that will give them an excuse to clamp down with more authoritarian measures because ultimately these people are authoritarians. They don't believe in freedom. They don't believe in the Constitution. They want to destroy it and allow only their point of view to be heard. So they think they've got it all sewn up. Either we sit back and accept everything they do, or if we protest, then they will use it as an excuse to clamp down further. Exactly. Now, there are millions of Americans who, to this day, are befuddled. They, they don't understand why those in charge of the government seem to be intentionally trying to destroy our country's economy, weaken our national security, and generally make life more difficult for most Americans. The opening of your book says, dedicated to every sane American who wonders what happened. How do you go about trying to explain to people, the people who are just honestly scratching their head, what has happened to our once great country? Well, you're absolutely right, Doc. I think most people just assume it couldn't possibly be what it looks like. Yeah. It couldn't possibly be that we have this criminal gang of traitors and saboteurs who are running the country and who hate the country at the same time. And yet that is what happened. And as I explain in the book, it really started with the Vietnam War protests and the idea that became mainstream for the first time that America was not a force for good in the world, as had been taken for granted after World War II, but was actually a force for great evil. Now, it's certainly true that the United States of America has done many things that it shouldn't have done, but this became mainstream to such an extent, this idea, among the Democrats and on the left in general, that now it's uh, essentially the core guiding principle of the Democrat Party and the left that uh, they should work against American interests at all times, in all contexts, in all ways. And, of course, they've also been raised to be socialist internationalists, so they want to destroy the nation-state, and the United States is the primary nation-state. Right. I guess the the challenge is to put this to to explain it to people who just have full lives, don't have as much time uh, as people like you and me to be just immersed uh, in in researching this sort of thing on a regular basis. But this is why people need to get your your new book, The Sumter Gambit: How the Left Is Trying to Foment a Civil War. Our guest today, Robert Spencer, sir. Where did the title come from, and in and um, why did you think it's it's appropriate for uh, America in, in 2023? 
Well, Doc, uh, it comes, from, of course, from Fort Sumter and the beginning of the first Civil War. Yeah. And I thought that it was apropos in this case because uh, this is the Sumter Gambit is what I call the various efforts to do what I explained at the beginning, that the left is trying to push us into a situation where either we surrender or a civil war starts that they can use as a pretext for more authoritarianism. It's like when the uh, South was trying to provoke the North into starting the first civil war by saying, that's our fort, you are illegally occupying it, you can't reinforce it, and then when Lincoln reinforced it, it was taken as an act of war, and they started the war. This is the same kind of thing they're trying to do now, push us to a moment that they can use. Right, right, right. Um, Speaking of which, on the evening of September 1st last year, Joe Biden gave a very dark speech with a red and black background that eerily reminded people of a, a different megalomaniac in Germany from the 30s. He, he gave a speech in front of Independence Hall in Philadelphia. A lot of people just got a real weird vibe from that. What do you think he was trying to accomplish that evening? I think he was trying to signal that America, as we know it, is dead, that uh, the people in charge do not believe in the freedoms guaranteed by the Constitution, and that a lot worse is coming. And you might think, oh, no, that's crazy. Oh, no, and a president of the United States would never do something like that. Well, you know, you mentioned the other uh, megalomaniac from the past yeah. with the red and black motif. Yeah. Actually, when you look at what Biden actually said, you get there is nothing like it. There's no parallel to it in American history. There is no speech like it from any other American president. Uh, the only analogy to that speech in modern history is Hitler's speech to the Reichstag after the Reichstag fire. Yeah. When he said he blamed the Communist Party, and this is not to say that the communists were good guys. There were no good guys in this story. Right. Uh, the Communist Party bl- uh, burned down the Reichstag, and Hitler said they're a threat to our democracy. <laughs> and so... He outlawed the Communist Party, and that gave him a majority in the Reichstag that voted to give him dictatorial powers in this so-called emergency. Now, that's the next shoe that's going to drop, Doc, that because the Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans, as Biden said on September 1st, are a threat to the very life of the republic, the logical next step is to neutralize that threat, criminalize it, make it illegal to enunciate those principles as treasonous and uh he's only going slower than hitler did because we have 200 years of democratic tradition germany had no democratic tradition at all he can't move that quickly to criminalize opposition but that's unmistakably what he was signaling that the administration is moving toward doing and that's not the only indication either there was the disinformation governance board that they started last year and then they had to retreat after an outcry, but it's not as if they've suddenly discovered they love the freedom of speech. They still want to silence their opponents and allow only their point of view to be heard. Yeah, no question about it. The whole thing about um, the misinformation, you know, the, the, the government and the media uh, expressing a concern about misinformation and how misinformation is dangerous for our society Actually, how is their so-called concern about so-called misinformation dangerous to our way of life? Well, um, take, for example, Hunter Biden's laptop. 
Now, uh, there's been so much misinformation about Hunter Biden's laptop. Let me make clear that while it has him doing coke and, 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 and playing around with hookers and all that, ultimately that's something that he, that, that's his business between him and God. And that's not really what concerns me. What concerns me about it is the evidence on it that he was selling access to his father. Yeah. And that he was making the U.S. government into this corrupt uh, transactional situation. Now, the Hunter Biden laptop was labeled disinformation, which is different but similar to misinformation. Misinformation is supposedly an honest mistake, and disinformation is intentional false information being put out. And 50 top intelligence officials, uh, some of them very high up in the U.S. government, um, former head of the FBI, the de- of the uh, the Directorate of National Intelligence, yeah. people like that. And they signed on to a letter saying that it was Russian disinformation, that it was fake. It wasn't fake. It was real. But if the Disinformation Governance Board had been in operation at that time, it could have become illegal to talk about Hunter Biden's laptop. And, of course, it didn't become illegal. It just became impossible because the social media giants were all in on this. And they worked with the government to silence people who spoke about it. Um, now, this is the way an authoritarian regime works. And we are perilously close to having that be the ordinary modus operandi for the U.S. government. And they all knew they were lying, too, because the FBI had the laptop. They yep. knew it was legit. Of course they knew they were lying. Absolutely. It was just to get biden to protect biden and make sure he got elected which of course they were sewing up in other ways as well oh definitely no question about it i recently asked general mike flynn you know all these people are are arguing in social media about ron DeSantis or donald trump i said if they don't fix what allowed uh, the election to be stolen in a handful of swing states arizona georgia michigan um wisconsin pennsylvania probably nevada Will it be possible to elect a Republican president in 2024, regardless who the nominee is? And, and Mike Flynn said, nope, nope, no, no chance. If they don't fix what happened That's to those right. states, and I don't see any attempt, any effort to fix what happened to those states, it's not going to matter who the nominee is. Um, yeah, I find it baffling, Doc. It's incredible to me. The Republicans are going on. I see social media conservatives saying, you know, we're going to get all this back in 24, and Trump's going to go back in, or whoever, DeSantis. It ain't going to be either one of them. Joe Biden's going to get reelected or Kamala or Gavin Newsom or whoever. But um, they've got it sewed up. I can tell you right now, I could go to Las Vegas and place a bet and, and get rich because there just ain't no way in the first place. You can look at the FBI. The FBI tried to get Trump out of office every which way it could. It, it was all in on the Russian collusion hoax. It was all in on the impeachment hoaxes. It was all in on trying to frame him for anything they could frame him for to get rid of him. Do you think the same people who are in, still in power now are just going to let him waltz back into the White House if he wins the election? He's not going to win the election because they're going to fix it. Yeah, and he, he, I, I'm sorry to say this. I'm not saying there's no hope. We, But we need to be focusing on the real problems. And one of the primary ones is election reform. And one of the other ones is that one party in the country right now, and it ain't the MAGA Republicans, doesn't believe in freedom or the Constitution or the American 
way of life as it's always been understood, and that puts us all in grave danger, but the opposition doesn't seem to care and isn't talking about it. Right. Yeah. Uh, Trump or DeSantis, it's not going to matter um, unless they fix what allowed the steal in 2020. Look, the Justice Department and the FBI continue to persecute Trump supporters who went to the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, a lot of whom didn't even go in the building. Washington, D.C. juries and liberal federal judges continue to throw the book at people with no criminal record who committed no violence or vandalism on that day, people who just wanted to express their support for President Trump. As a matter of fact, the fact they support President Trump is presented in court as evidence against them. And yet, recently, 18 Republican U.S. senators voted with their Democrat colleagues to reward this DOJ and FBI with budget increases of hundreds of millions more dollars a year to make it easier for them to go after people who vote for these same Republican senators. What, what are we to make of this? That either, well, they're controlled opposition or they just are stupid and they have no clue about what's really going on here. Uh, the the uh, FBI, the the CIA, the, all the rest of them, every last intelligence agency has obviously been corrupted and politicized, as has the U.S. military. Yeah. And if the uh, opposition wants to change that and to restore some uh, semblance of a free society, then it's got to start talking about it. But nobody is talking about it now. Yeah. No question about it. Speaking with Robert Spencer about his new book, The Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War. So Republican Congresswoman from Georgia, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, recently endorsed the idea of a national divorce, somehow separating liberals and conservatives. What do you think when you hear that kind of suggestion? I wish people would cut it out. I wish they'd stop talking about it. Uh, it's not because I have a lot of respect for Marjorie Taylor Greene. Oh, yeah. And I understand why she and others say that, but it's completely unrealistic. It's never going to happen. Um, these people are, as I have been explaining, these people are authoritarians. They're totalitarians. That means they want everything. They want uh, a bunch of people submitting to them. They don't want to just say, oh, goodbye, yeah, you think differently, we'll, we'll, we'll see you later. It's not going to happen. They'll never let us go. The Soviet Union, remember, built the wall in West Berlin to keep people from getting out. And that's what the left always does. It makes is sure in various ways that you can't escape what they're doing and the societies that they establish because they know that human nature being what it is, people are going to get away from them if they can. And so they close off all those avenues. And that's what's going to happen in the United States. People might say, well, uh, you know, we won't bother you. We'll just give us a little bit of land and we'll go there and uh, we'll live in peace with one another. Absolutely not. The left will not tolerate that. They would take those people and put them in prison for life and say they're traitors and insurrectionists and torture them and leave them in solitary for years on end, and who knows what else. And that's because that's how the left behaves. They do not say, oh, you don't like us? Okay, so long. Yeah, yeah, it's totally unrealistic. What did you think when FBI agents from the Washington field office flew down to South Florida last August to raid the home of former President Trump? 
Well, I thought that was yet another assault on our free society and yet another indication that we're becoming sort of a third world banana republic authoritarian regime instead of a free society. You have uh, the president of the United States having the home of his foremost political opponent raided and humiliated in all kinds of ways, you know, going through his wife's clothes and all that stuff. And why? Because he supposedly had classified documents completely heedless. Nobody has ever explained why it, it makes a difference if the present, former president has classified documents because the president has the right to class, to, has the authority to classify and declassify material. Yeah. So if he took it, and then he can say it's declassified, boom, no case. But Joe Biden, now we know because it apparently the left wants to get rid of him for 24, and so now it's coming out that Joe took classified documents when he was vice president. Yeah. Vice president has no authority to declassify documents. So that's a far more serious offense and actually a real criminal case. Yeah, I mean, but of course, his home was not raided. They said, "Hey, do you mind if we go look around?" <laughs> you know, uh, they, they asked permission. After and your lawyers go through, yeah, after your lawyers go through things first. I mean, they're now saying he has classified yeah. documents from decades ago when he was just a senator, and and and, and a lot of senators yeah. are just scratching their heads, like, "Wait a minute, uh, how that happened?" Yeah, it's yeah, like you say, it it is quite the the double standard. Uh, why does the Biden regime, and for that matter, a lot of Republicans seem determined to start a world war with the nuclear power of Russia. I saw a couple of days ago on Fox News, um, Senator uh, Wicker from Mississippi talking about when we defeat Putin. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're going to defeat a guy who has nukes? How's that work? Yeah. I, uh, I think that they want war for several reasons. One is um, war is distracting. You know, suddenly if we're at war, it becomes all about the war. Yeah, And so we forget about how this regime has tanked the economy and made for galloping inflation and the southern border is completely erased and all the rest of it. That's one reason. Another reason is these are Malthusians and uh, population bomb, population explosion mythicists who think that the earth is overpopulated and they want to drastically reduce the Earth's population to yeah. save the climate and all that. Yeah. And so they'd be happy to have a war, a nuclear war, and sure. kill a few million people. They'd love that. Well, and it would get the economy going, and then Joe could take credit for making the economy get going again uh, because you got to have a war economy and make munitions and everything else. And then there's the military-industrial complex, which has, doesn't have Afghanistan as its longstanding cash cow anymore yeah. and needs a new one. And so all these things coming together, it's, it's a scary situation that could end, us, end up with us in a world war. That is very scary. I know you got to run here soon. Um, I want to ask you the impossible question and um, see if you can address this. So I was at a wedding uh, a few months ago, shortly after the Paul Pelosi incident in which he was attacked by a guy with a hammer. I was at a wedding with a lot of people I'd never met. And when a gentleman at the reception found out I was a conservative talk show host, he seemed very concerned. He asked me if I thought it might be a good idea for a conservative talk show host to turn down the intensity on some of the rhetoric. Apparently he had 
listened to NP, listened to NPR on a regular basis, and uh, they had said that right wing talk radio had influenced a MAGA supporter to attack Speaker Pelosi's husband. I, I didn't want to get an argument at a wedding, but I did mention the attacker was a far left Green Party guy, uh, a, a guy who was some kind of a nudist activist. So his reaction was to be shocked that right-wing MAGA rhetoric was even motivating a guy that far to the left. So, of course, he's got to plug it into what he's heard on, on NPR, on the news, you know. So how do you attempt to converse with people who have never considered the possibility that the mainstream media might be lying to them? Well, I think uh, that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. It's just keep trying to tell the truth, keep trying to show them the truth, uh, I know what you're talking about, though. I've recently, on Twitter, in the private messages, been conversing with a writer for Salon Magazine, very far-left guy, yeah. but he's very friendly, and we've been having friendly conversations, but he lives in another universe. Mm-hmm. I talked about drag queens uh, performing in ab- inappropriate ways in front of little kids, and he says, oh, that's, that's not happening. <laughs> and, um, yeah, he, he and and there were several other things like that where I said something that I figured everybody knew and was taken for granted, and he had no no idea. And I realized, oh yeah, because you know CNN and MSNBC they don't publicize these things. And if he sees them on right wing Twitter, he doesn't believe it. He thinks it's fake. And so we have to just keep hammering. I think that the, these things are real. And be ready to document everything that we assert. And some people, of course, this is a this is ultimately a spiritual battle, as you know, Doc. And yeah. so some people will never be convinced, but uh, some people will, as long as we just keep holding fast to the truth and keep putting it out there. Amen. A wise man once told me years ago, work like everything depends on you. Pray like everything depends on God. I, I know that's something you there agree you with. Uh, Robert Spencer, yep. he's authored 26 Wonderful books. I recommend all of them. The new one is The Sumter Gambit, How the Left is Trying to Foment a Civil War. It's available wherever you get books. The website is jihadwatch.org. It's been around since shortly after the 9-11 attacks on our country. Uh, Brother Spencer, always a delight uh, to speak with you. Let's do it again before too long. As we say here in the South, y'all come see us. That would be great. Always good to talk to you, Doc. Thank right. you. God, God bless, bless you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. It's been too long. Uh, I, I've interviewed uh, Robert Spencer many times, uh, but this is the first time that I've interviewed him since we started doing the uh, the podcast, and, and what an honor it is. And the book, The Sumter Gambit, really is talking about what we're up against. And we'll be talking some more about uh, breaking news here on Friday, February 24th, 2023, exactly what we are up against. Let me just tell you, if you've tried to buy a car recently, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Auto comes in. Red River Auto is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Auto wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. 
Red River Auto Group has perfected the online buying process. Just go to redriverauto.com and pick from hundreds of new and used vehicles. You can purchase your vehicle online if you have any questions. One of Red River's trained experts will help you through the whole process. Red River Auto makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer, the Belize and Freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental U.S., redriverauto.com. You will be glad you did. Okay, are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo? How about fibromyalgia? Problems with your blood sugar, eczema, psoriasis, even migraines? I want to tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. The Arkansas Upper Cervical Center might be able to help you even if you don't live in Arkansas. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas or C1, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever five or six weeks every spring all my life. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, and it's never come back. I had bad migraines year-round. I got my atlas adjusted. They went away for good, too. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, fibromyalgia, problems with your blood sugar, eczema, psoriasis, migraines, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009 for free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation, 501-279-2009. Or if you're out of state, outside central Arkansas, but you're like, man, I need to look into that. Well, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, click on the tab that says, find a doctor near you, and I sure hope that you can. Okay, I bet you've heard by now that our friend Mike Lindell has a passion now for everybody. Get a good night's sleep, the best sleep of your life. Have you heard about his new development? It's called MyPillow 2.0. It's got a brand-new temperature-regulating technology that keeps you comfortable throughout the night with a new fabric which dissipates heat and humidity to create a cooling sensation to maintain a cooler surface temperature. This new fabric technology of MyPillow 2.0 helps regulate your body temperature throughout the night by creating a lower surface temperature for a more restful night's sleep. Your core body temperature plays a big role and how well you sleep. MyPillow 2.0 is developed to provide a cool surface and engineered for comfort. Because it's a fiber, not a finish, it'll last the life of the fabric. MyPillow 2.0 is available in four loft levels. It's machine washable and dryable. 
There's a 10-year warranty with a 60-day money-back guarantee. And, of course, it's made in the USA. And right now, as an introductory offer for my listeners, if you use promo code DWS when you order your MyPillow 2.0, you get a two-for-one. So you and your spouse. And don't forget about Mike Lindell's Giza Dream Sheets, the most comfortable sheets I've ever slept on. Once you sleep on your new Giza Dreams bed sheets, you'll never want to sleep on anything else again. Mike is making a special offer for my listeners about the Giza Dreams sheets. Use promo code DWS. You get them for as low as twenty nine ninety eight. Right now, a set of pillowcases only nine ninety eight. In this economy, instead of buying a new bed, rejuvenate your bed with a My Pillow mattress topper for as low as ninety nine ninety nine. MyPillow also has blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles like plush, waffle, or gossamer for as low as $29.98. Get huge discounts on duvets, quilts, down comforters, and so much more. Use that promo code DWS to get huge discounts on all MyPillow bedding, including the new MyPillow 2.0, MyPillow Giza Dreams sheets, and so much more. Even as we speak, I'm wearing my new My My Slippers moccasins, I had no idea slippers could feel this good. Right now, save up to $90 on my slippers, slip-ons, and moccasins marked down to just $49.98 by using promo code DWS. Now, remember that DWS, that does not stand for the washed-up Democrat congresswoman, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. No, 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 no. That stands for Doc Washburn Show. It's very important. So use that at MyPillow.com and MyStore.com where Mike is selling all kinds of stuff. Quantities are extremely limited. And these amazing prices, so please order now from MyPillow.com and MyStore.com. Just use promo code DWS. All right. So I got to report to you the latest from Julie Kelly over at American Greatness, amgreatness.com. This just dropped today. Her new article entitled Media Demands Darkness, Not Sunlight on January 6th tapes. She says, ever since Axios reported that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy gave Fox News host Tucker Carlson unfettered access to surveillance video captured by Capitol security cameras, On January 6, 2021, the corporate media has experienced a collective convulsion bordering on a nervous breakdown. Guardians of the Fourth Estate long ago abandoned their self-proclaimed role as watchdog over those in power in exchange for the role of lapdog. But apparently, the last ones to get the joke our reporters, editors, and cable news hosts themselves who still operate under the delusion they maintain a vaunted place in the pecking order of American society rather than ranking in popularity just below the toxic sludge smoldering in East Palestine, Ohio. Not long ago, maybe it has been a long time, journalists would salivate at the chance to report on the contents of a massive trove of footage 
related to what the government calls a terror attack, especially if the same government pulled every trick in the book to keep it under wraps, compelled by slavish idolatry of the state and contempt for the common man, the media, for lack of a better term, is acting as if the release of unseen video recorded on January 6, 2021, is a crime in progress itself. Now, this comes, mind you, after two full years of uncritically repeating every talking point about the so-called insurrection, which involves calling it an insurrection, even though no one has been charged with insurrection. No cop cried too unconvincingly. No lawmaker made too outlandish a claim. No occupant of the White House told one too many lies to jolt the slumbering curiosity or even innate sense of skepticism of corporate media apparatchiks. Breaking news bulletins sought to grab the attention of their shrinking audience before airing a cherry-picked clip gleaned from the very collection of tapes now considered sacrosanct. It's hard to know where to begin in the January 6th Hall of Hypocrisy, but let's start with an easy target. Washington Post political columnist Philip Bump. Shortly after Donald Trump won the 2016 election, the Washington Post famously changed its motto to Democracy Dies in Darkness. Since January 6th, few newspapers have devoted more column inches to the four-hour disturbance that day that only delayed the certification of the 2020 election temporarily. A three-part series published in October 2021 provided a novel-sized exploration into what happened before, during, and after the protest. Proceedings of the January 6th Select Committee earned nonstop coverage, including reposting, you guessed it, clips of surveillance video played by the committee to an international audience. Philip Bump, Washington Post, now bristles at the thought of fair play. He sneered in a February 21st column, we should have no confidence that Tucker Carlson will do anything but use the video to which he's been given access for anything other than promoting his own narrative. It's not just that Carlson cannot be relied upon to actually consider the video in an objective way, though he certainly can't be. It's also that there's no reason to think He'll present the video in context to include information that moderates what's being shown on the screen. So, darkness, it appears, is not a threat to democracy if it pertains to a blackout of taxpayer-paid recordings that might lay bare the biggest political scandal in U.S. history. Over at MSNBC, Rachel Maddow fretted that Fox News will, quote, Use this government material to concoct an alternative narrative to give us some more convenient revisionist history about what happened on January 6th, unquote. Not to be outdone. Maddow's MSNBC colleague Joy Reid warned that Republicans could, quote, twist the footage to help criminals get out of jail, unquote. This from the same network, MSNBC, that infamously reported the 2020 Black Lives Matter riots were mostly peaceful as property burned behind their reporter. Joy Reid and her guest 
Democrat Representative Jamie Raskin, Maryland, then quickly defaulted to the Democrats' favorite villain, Russian President Vladimir Putin. Prideless and shameless after years of portraying Putin as the bogeyman in every fabricated smear operation, Raskin and Reed lamented how Tucker Carlson was once again doing Putin's dirty work. Jamie Raskin, the propagandist, would be autocrat who twice attempted to remove a duly elected president from office, said Tucker Carlson is a pro-Putin, pro-Orban, pro-autocrat, propagandist. I mean, that really is out of Putin's playbook. Joy Reid responded, oh, absolutely. Aside from empowering Putin, the Biden regime's escalating involvement in the Ukraine-Russia conflict notwithstanding, Tucker Carlson's team could endanger national security by releasing footage not approved by lawmakers such as Jamie Raskin or the bureaucrats running the Capitol Police Department. Time Magazine claimed this week Democrats and former Republican members of the January 6th committee say that by releasing the footage to Carlson McCarthy could divulge security methods used by law enforcement to defend the Capitol complex. Those concerns, however, escaped consideration when the committee broadcast dozens of shots of the inside of the Capitol over the course of 18 months, including then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's trip to a secure location on January 6th. And, of course, no January 6th sob story would be complete without a cameo by Michael Fanone, the former D.C. Metropolitan Police officer turned book author turned CNN contributor. In a statement to CNN, Fanone said, This guarantees that it will be selectively edited to fit an extreme MAGA narrative without care for the safety of Capitol Police, members of Congress, and congressional staff. Airing footage of restricted areas of the Capitol and sensitive evacuation protocols, all while spreading misinformation about the nature of the attack on the Capitol endangers everyone working in the building. Julie Kelly says perhaps Tucker Carlson can also get his hands on Officer Fanon's body-worn camera recordings, which remain under protective orders to this day. What we're hearing from the media industrial complex is fear, not concern. Either ignorance about the underlying facts of January 6th or fully aware of the dirty side until now shielded from the majority of the public, the news media is afraid of what Tucker Carlson will reveal. And not even they are braced for impact. Just a wonderful article, uh, one of many by Julie Kelly over at American Greatness, amgreatness.com. It's entitled, Media Demands Darkness, Not Sunlight, on January 6th Tapes. Why does this not surprise me? Now, on our last episode of the Doc Washburn Show, we talked about the strange death of former Clinton advisor Mark Middleton and how the police in Arkansas wanted us to believe that he had shot himself 
but there was no gun. And how 24 hours later, with the pushback of people going, come on, man, they came out with a new version. Oh, yeah, actually, there was a uh, shotgun 30 feet from the body, which is still too far. And I have been telling folks that there are a number of former Clinton friends and associates over the years who uh, have left this mortal coil under very suspicious circumstances over the years. I mean, all you have to do, all you have to do is Google Clinton death list and, and you'll get a number, a number of names of people, some of whom you might remember, oh, yeah, I remember when that was in the news, some of whom you've probably never heard of, and um, it's just really remarkable. And we got a new one. We've got a new one. Let me share this one with you. And predictably, uh, a suicide. New York Post, new details emerge in shocking suicide of billionaire Thomas H. Lee. Billionaire financier Thomas H. Lee's one-time meteoric career had become a mere footnote in the leveraged buyout industry he helped create, records show, as new, ta- as new details emerged Friday in his suicide. 78-year-old Lee was found dead in his office bathroom by a female assistant Thursday morning with a single bullet wound to the head and his Smith & Wesson revolver next to him, according to police sources. The woman went to look for her boss because he hadn't been heard from, according to sources. First responders discovered Lee lying on his side with a self-inflicted gunshot wound, and attempts to save him were futile, with a money man pronounced dead at 11.26 a.m. Thursday. The recovered revolver was registered and licensed to Lee, with a gun license also found in his office. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this going to be a Clinton pal who actually may have committed suicide himself? Because we're just so used to people on the Clinton death list, you know, being said to have committed suicide, but then you look at the details and it's like, uh, I don't think so. Steve Bing? Yeah, I'll, I'll get to him in a minute. Anyway, the well-connected financier, a Clinton pal and Harvard grad, amassed a fortune and then some buying companies by having them borrow money to fund the deals, making them responsible for repayment. With that kind of leverage, a big win could result in giant returns. His deals included purchasing Snapple back in 1992 and then reselling it to Quaker Oats two years later at 32 times the price the kind of business savvy that made him the inspiration for Oliver Stone's Blue Horseshoe Loves Anacott Steel from the hit Wall Street, according to a source who knew Lee. That referred to the code language used in the 1987 movie Wall Street for character Gordon Gecko and a company that he was buying for a buy. He was eyeing for a buyout. New York State's pension fund 
was Mr. Lee's biggest fund investor in later years. But the former Wall Street power player faded in recent years into a background character in the industry he pioneered, having trouble raising the kind of money he was used to, according to public records. Lee, who left behind his wife of 27 years and Tenenbaum, as well as five children, two grandchildren, was worth an estimated $2 billion when he died, according to Forbes. Okay, wait. A guy worth $2 billion shoots himself in the head at 78 years old. A resident of Lee's Sutton Place apartment building in Manhattan, who served with the Wall Streeter on the board there, told the Post on Friday that he was shocked by the investor's death. I, I would think so. The neighbor, who declined to give his name, said, I was in contact with him Wednesday. There's no indication of strife, and I knew him for about 23 years. I'm as shocked as anybody. He was an extraordinary person, successful, has a lovely family, and they're all pretty good kids growing up. They're well-educated. You know, if you pick somebody to commit suicide, I, I never would have picked him. He was very positive, very friendly, really nice guy. A source in private equity with ties to Lee's business said, it's interesting that he killed himself at his firm. The source claimed it looks like a big blank U to his partners. At the time of his death, Lee Equity Partners had spent a year raising a new fund. In December, the state of Alaska's pension committed $25 million after investing $55 million in a prior 2019 fund, according to public records. The 2019 fund had previously raised $655 million for itself, still a relatively modest sum considering the multi-billion dollar intakes that Lee once commanded. Meanwhile, the first firm Lee created and was no longer a part of, Thomas H. Lee Partners, or THL, raised $5.6 billion in 2021. Lee had founded THL back in 1974, only to split with a company in 2006 when his partners took over in what some considered an acrimonious corporate divorce. Lee raised $65 million for his first buyout fund in 1984. He once said he would only put down 10% of the buyout money and have the business borrow the rest in a leveraged buyout. With that kind of serious leverage, he often reaped giant returns. In 1992, Lee invested $30 million of equity to buy Snapple. Remember, that was the uh, flavored iced tea drink that Rush Limbaugh used to uh, advertise until the buyout. Lee made headlines two years later when he resold the company to Quaker Oats. He had only paid $30 million for it. He sold it for $1.7 billion. He netted an estimated $900 million for himself and his investors. Quaker Oats subsequently struggled with Snapple after the purchase and quickly resold it. In interviews, Lee described his company as a deal factory. Though not all buyouts were successful, his wins certainly offset his losses. His financial engineering continued through the 90s, sometimes with spectacular results. In 1996, he partnered with Mitt Romney's Bain Capital to buy the credit reporting company TRW for $1.1 billion in a leveraged buyout, beating out Great Universal stores. Seven weeks later, Great Universal 
which owed a, which owned a smaller credit reporting business, realized it needed TRW and paid the private equity firm $1.7 billion for it after Leah just bought a few weeks earlier for $1.1. But Lee's successes sometimes came at a cost, too. He was considered difficult to war- work with, according to sources, clashed with his one-time partner, John Childs, who thought he was a bully and eventually forced Childs to leave THL and form a competing form form a competing firm in 1995. Lee also didn't see eye-to-eye with fellow Harvard alumni Glenn Hutchins, forced him to exit the firm in the early 90s. And it goes on and on and on. But what, what, a, what you want to know is why would this guy commit suicide? One source told the New York Post, Lee was, was regarded as having one of the most admired houses in the Hamptons. Bill and Hillary Clinton were frequent guests they would regularly stay there. The Clintons family holed up at Lee's East Hampton pad after the bruising 2008 Democrat primary. Okay, so he was really tight with the Clintons if that's where Hillary wanted to go after Obama beat her in the 08 primary. Wow. Yeah, it's just, um, it's just weird, man. In a statement issued Thursday, Lee family friend and spokesman Michael Citrick told, said the Wall Street Titans family was extremely saddened by his passing. He said, while the world knew him as one of the pioneers in the private equity business and a successful businessman, we knew him as a devoted husband, father, grandfather, sibling, friend, and philanthropist who always put others' needs before his own. Well, well. Maybe almost always. He certainly didn't do that by blowing his brains out in the restroom where he worked and leaving it for a female aide to find the body. Nah, I don't. I don't think she needed that. I don't think he put his needs. He put somebody else's uh, needs before his own by doing that. Nah, no way. No way. Suicide has got to be one of the most um, selfish things somebody can do. You know, you're not thinking about other people at all. Yeah, I remember Steve Bing. That's a guy who made the uh, the Clinton death list. You remember that guy? He was a he was like a, a billionaire and took a header out of. Uh, I think it was the 35th story of the high-rise apartment building you lived in in L.A. What a way to go. I mean, do people, only 55 years old, I don't know. I haven't really studied suicide that much. I mean, I I knew a guy who um, put his car in his garage Closed the garage and um, kept the car running, so he just kind of went to sleep there from uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. But for somebody to just uh, take a swan dive out a 35th floor window, for anybody to commit suicide, you got to be mental. But um, that's just, uh, I'm sorry, 27th floor apartment, but same thing. That's just one of the weirdest things. But, yeah, there's so many people on the Clinton death list.
And sometimes you wonder if um, somebody's put a few names on there that, that really don't belong on there. So the Clinton apologists can say, well, that guy, that, no, that's. But a lot of the people on there, I mean, James McDougal, who was in solitary confinement in jail, and he didn't have his medication for his heart, and he had a heart attack, and they took their own sweet time getting him to the hospital, you know, stuff like that. Vince Foster. As we mentioned in our last episode, I, I don't know. Yeah, Vince Foster killed himself or somebody else killed him, but I don't think anybody believes that he committed suicide in that park in North Virginia. I mean, I, I heard the interview with the FBI confidential witness on the G. Gordon Liddy show back in the 90s, guy who found the body, and he said obviously the body had been dragged through the underbrush and, you know, there were carpet fibers and blonde hair on the uh, on the suit like he'd been rolled up in a carpet. Come on, man. They're just way too many. But yeah, if you uh if you ever want to do a search on the internet for Clinton death list, you're going to come across some names like Kathy Ferguson. former wife of Arkansas Trooper Danny Ferguson, found dead in May of 94 in her living room in Arkansas with a gunshot to her head. It was ruled a suicide even though there were several packed suitcases as if she was going somewhere. Um, Her ex-husband, Trooper Danny Ferguson, was a co-defendant along with Bill Clinton in the Paula Jones lawsuit. Kathy Ferguson was a possible corroborating witness for Paula Jones. About a month later, June 12, 1994, Bill Shelton. They said he committed suicide. He was the fiancé of Kathy Ferguson, who authorities say killed herself one month earlier, even, you know, like I said, with all the packed suitcases. Um... But Bill Shelton was a Sherwood, Arkansas police officer who had been vociferous in his allegations that his wife-to-be, Kathy Ferguson, had not committed suicide and had, in fact, been murdered. Shelton was found sprawled across Ferguson's graveside with an allegedly self-inflicted, self-inflicted gunshot to the back of the head. You know, stuff like that. Stuff like that. There are a lot of names on the Clinton death list. Let me put it this way. Um, How many people do you know personally that committed suicide? And then how many of them do people have real questions about, well, I don't know, man. I'm not so sure he committed suicide. It might have been murder. I don't know anybody like that. And don't even get me started on the boys on the tracks. 
Two teenage boys run over by a train August 23, 1987. And uh, Saline County, Arkansas deputies showed up. Uh, they were ignoring everything the guys on the train said, ignoring everything the paramedics said, refused to consider the possibility of foul play, even though obviously the boys were murdered. All these years later, still nobody's been held accountable. And there were at least six people who knew too much who were murdered within a couple of years of the boys in the tracks. The biggest murder mystery in in the history of the state of Arkansas, probably one of the biggest murder mysteries in in the country, Robert Stack, Unsolved Mysteries, did a couple of shows on it in the in the nineties. So just uh, just weird bad luck, I guess, seems to uh, seems to dog the Clintons every footstep. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a term for it. It's called uh, Arkansas. Somebody just I, I'm just now looking over at the live stream. Most people listen to the show after the fact. A few people listen to the live stream. I'm just looking over um, at the live stream, and somebody, my buddy Cartoon Steve, helpfully said, Arkansas. Well, you know, I mean, I don't want to rattle anybody's cage. I'm sorry, I couldn't say that with a straight face. That that's what I do. I don't soft pedal anything. I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot shoot straight and try to tell you that to the best of my ability what's actually going on. And we're gonna do a little bit more of that here in just a moment. Look, AT and T has lost billions on the stock market. I wonder if it's be, has anything to do with the fact that the satellite operation they own called DirecTV recently got rid of Newsmax like overnight. And people are like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. No more money to AT&T. And so people not only want to get rid of DirecTV, but they want to stop using AT&T as their cell phone carrier. Well, I got a perfect solution for you. Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use, and they have a coverage guarantee. So you're covered. It's taken care of. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes, as well as multi-line users. I know I'm saving a lot of money ever since I switched to Patriot Mobile. Now, when you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, 
Your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching is easy. Just do what I did. Go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. The great Ronald Reagan once said, Inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. Have you thought about the benefits of investing in precious metals? Here are five profound benefits of investing in precious metals. Number one, a hedge against inflation. Number two, it's a great way to diversify your portfolio. Number three, asset liquidity. Number four, precious metals tend to be a store of value. That means they're an asset, commodity, or currency that maintains their value without depreciating over the long haul. Last but not least, number five, precious metals can be a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty and the struggling U.S. dollar. So we're honored to join forces with Beverly Hills Precious Metals and its owner, Andrew Sorcini. Andrew has been involved in gold and silver for over 40 years. Andrew Sorcini and his team at Beverly Hills Precious Metals know the gold and silver business inside and out. After many years in the markets and collecting precious metals privately, Andrew opened Beverly Hills Precious Metals back in 2010 to bring precious metals to the homes of everyday American citizens. We found out about Andrew Sorcini and Beverly Hills Precious Metals from General Mike Flynn, and we're glad we did. By the way, they got a new General Michael Flynn silver coin that is selling like crazy. Andrew is a frequent guest on conservative podcasts, Beverly Hills Precious Metals is a gold buyer, our gold buyer of choice. To learn more about Andrew and his team, go to the website bh-pm.com. That stands for Beverly Hills and Precious Metals. If you can't remember that, it's easy. Just do a search for Beverly Hills Precious Metals, where you use Google or Bing or DuckDuckGo, whatever you use. It's always what comes up first. Let them know Doc Washburn sent you. We're honored to be able to tell you about Beverly Hills Precious Metals in an effort to help you in your attempts to protect your family's finances, wealth, and investments. bh-pm.com. Tell them Doc Washburn sent you. Now, I've been talking about how the world's going crazy with supply chain issues, record-setting inflation, sky-high gas prices, woke corporations, and stand against everything we believe in. We all know how the big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic. While so many little guys, small business owners, regular people were forced to close. The wealthiest people on earth became better off while mom and pop businesses suffered. The question is, what are we willing to do about it? What can we do about it? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now, finally, we can shop factory direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Switch to America.com is helping Americans walk away from the big box conglomerates. That's why Switch to America was created with regular folks like you and me in mind. 
One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than shareholders and corporate executives. A lot of Patreon influencers have come on board. I'm inviting you to join with fellow patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big, woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We are done with a woke, globalist operation against humanity. Each of us can take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned, made in America. The website is switchtoamerica.com. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. That includes their new product, Prime Beef. Yes, indeed. Fresh American raised beef. Raised in the mountains of Montana near the Yellowstone, this beef is known as never, ever. Never has the animal ever been exposed to antibiotics, hormones, or vaccines. This prime or high-choice beef is shipped directly to your door. Pricing and availability is exclusive only to our members and isn't shipped anywhere else in the world. SwitchToAmerica.com is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. Just go to SwitchToAmerica.com when it asks how you heard about us. Click on my name, Doc Washburn, plug in your info, and I'll have one of my guys contact you. SwitchToAmerica.com. All right, I think it's that time. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. And it's brought to you by Red River Auto. Red River Auto, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA, believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice online at redriverauto.com and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. All right, today's Tweet of the Day is actually a thread of tweets from Aaron Siberium. I hope I got that last name right. He reports for the Washington Free Beacon. And here it is. Scoop. Joe Biden's nominee to fill a vacancy on the Second Circuit Court of Appeals is a longtime diversity trainer who has argued for curtailing the First Amendment. And she's actually conducted training sessions that say microaggressions can kill you. Now an associate justice on the Connecticut State Supreme Court, Maria Araujo Khan, suggested in a 2020 opinion that courts should criminalize speech that offends what she called oppressed groups. Since since 2013, she's also delivered at least a dozen diversity trainings and presentations to lawyers across the country with titles like cultural competence, implicit association and racial anxiety, according to her Senate Judiciary Questionnaire. To prepare for one of those trainings, participants 
were instructed to watch an animated video called How Microaggressions Are Like Mosquito Bites that depicts a man-sized mosquito telling a dark-hued college student to try a less challenging major and then sucking him dry, as mosquitoes will do. A voiceover says, Some mosquitoes carry truly threatening diseases that can mess up your life for years, and other mosquitoes carry strains that can even kill you. The video then cuts to a mosquito holding a gun next to a dead body. The insect tells police officers at the scene of the crime, I felt threatened. It looked like he was up to trouble, okay? Another clip depicts a black woman murdering several mosquitoes with a flamethrower after they ask to touch her hair. The revelations could prove a last-minute stumbling block for Ms. Khan, who back in September sailed through the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee with little pushback. A final vote on her nomination could come as soon as next week. As a Second Circuit judge, Ms. Khan would have a say in some of the influential judicial cases in the country and would bring to the court a controversial view of the First Amendment. In a 2020 opinion, Ms. Khan argued for broadening the fighting words exception to the First Amendment, which bans speech likely to spark violence. She wants to expand that exception on the grounds that some groups are unlikely or unable to physically retaliate against insults. She wrote that means they must endure a higher level of offensive speech before being afforded legal remedies. Though Ms. Kahn is vague on how exactly she would reform First Amendment law, the opinion laments that bigots can verbally assault certain oppressed groups, especially women and the disabled, without fear of criminal prosecution. Sounds like she wants to do away with the First Amendment. But I digress. The Second Circuit's docket is unusually high-profile in part because of its jurisdiction over New York State, and it often includes prominent free speech cases. In 2022, for example, the court upheld a New York State official's right to discourage banks from doing business with the NRA. In 2019, it ruled on First Amendment grounds that Donald Trump could not block critics from his personal Twitter account. If Ms. Kahn joins the Second Circuit, she could hear challenges to New York's controversial social media law, which requires platforms to report hateful conduct to the state. Ms. Kahn's views on free speech reflect a broader trend in progressive jurisprudence where once taken for granted legal norms have fallen out of favor. Last year, for example, the Washington State Supreme Court flipped the burden of proof for claims of racial bias in civil trials, forcing attorneys accused of stereotyping to show that their language did not activate any juror's implicit bias. Lawyers and law professors said that the negative would be impossible to prove and that the court had set a chilling precedent. David Bernstein, a professor of constitutional law at George Mason University, 
call the decision um, bat excrement crazy. Ms. Khan is not the only radical Biden nominee. Rebecca Slaughter, whom Biden this month renominated to the Federal Trade Commission, suggested the U.S. take a page from South Africa and integrate racial equity into antitrust law, going after businesses with what she called racially skewed ownership. Oh, my goodness. Boy, they really do want to take, turn this into Idi Amin's Uganda. Well, no, Idi Amin, he kicked all the Europeans out and uh, put some of his henchmen, who were really nothing but organized crime people, gangsters, in charge of businesses and then didn't understand why the businesses um, weren't still operating profitably. So she declared in September 2020, antitrust can and should be anti-racist. Two weeks later, she told CNBC that it isn't possible to really be actually neutral, nor should we be neutral in the face of systemic racism and structural racism. Oh, okay, so she lives in a make-believe world. Okay, I see. Biden has also nominated Nusrat Jahan Chowdhury, the legal director of the ACLU's Illinois chapter, to serve on a New York district court. In 2019, Ms. Chowdhury told an audience at Princeton that police shoot unarmed black men every day. Oh, okay, so she just likes violating the Ninth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That's what we're up against. Remember, always work like everything depends on you. Pray like everything depends on God. All right, you've been listening to episode 351 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed in the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. If you have any questions for us, email us, contact at docwashburnshow.com. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X, Senior Vice President, Engineering, IT, and Interoperability for the Doc Washburn Show. And that's the way it is. Friday, February 24th, 2023.